0: Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. When I came in upstairs, I was talking to Sean, uh, and I said, nobody much here this morning. It's usually a hive of activity. She said, the flu has hit our church community, and I can see that today. (laughs) A lot of empty seats today, I'm surprised, but a lot of people are sick. Well, pinch hitting for the pastor. Not my idea of a good time. <laughs> I didn't find out till Friday that I was on. I had to preach. And of course, we've been doing a series in the book of Genesis, and I, was, I am scheduled to preach next Sunday, but that aside, I was not scheduled to preach this Sunday. And it's a, a, a long passage in, in the book of Genesis, and uh, there was no way I could even... Uh, give that any attention at at the last minute because pastor is very sick. I I talked to him on the phone. He he really is not good at all. And he did suggest that uh, he had finished his sermon and perhaps I could read it. So I looked over it, but there were too many mistakes in it. So... (laughs) Uh, So I thought I'd do something else. Somebody said to me, I suppose you're pulling an old sermon. Uh, To share with us today. Well, that is true, but it's an oldie but goodie, I think, at any rate. But it is one that I've preached here, but uh, that was in 2003. Who of you were here in 2003? Well, quite a number of you. Um, I don't expect you to remember it, and I must say I have revisited it I've prayed over it, and it has been re-engineered somewhat and uh, changed a little. But at any rate, that's where we are today. I'm glad to be able to help out um, in this time when our pastor's is not doing too well. Well, what I want to do is to tell you a little bit to begin with about my life. Um, I've, I've had a, a long and varied life, really, done a lot of interesting things, been a lot of places, and... Um, one uh, During the years of about 2002 to 2006 um, I, I had an avocation on the side and some of you here may be aware of that, but I was involved in, I suppose you'd call it the media, uh, I, I, was, I did some commercials, uh, I was used in corporate training videos, um, I, I did some magazine photo shoots and I was in one or two movies, and so on. I don't know whether those of you who are here remember that. (laughs) At any rate, it did surprise. Um, The reason I'm telling you about this is uh, we're all interested probably in movies and television, and we realize, even if we don't at the time when we're watching something, that it's really based on deception. And who's been to the Universal Studios, maybe in Southern California and Florida? Well, quite a few of you. And you can see that it is, it is based on deception. And it's interesting to go behind the curtain and see what happens. Um, I suppose my most famous or infamous role was I was involved in a, in, in, in a movie, and I won't give you the name because I don't want you to see it. but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I only saw the, the script for the scene that I was in, and um, I did not see the rest of it, and probably if I had of, I would not have been in it, but uh, any rate, that aside, I had the unfortunate experience in that movie of being murdered. <laughs> I, I, was, I was stabbed to death by a uh, psychotic killer. And um, he had on, of course, a hockey a goalie mask. You know, <laughs> so it was pretty awful. Anyway, I, I was lying on the ground, and uh, he was uh, he had a knife and and was stabbing me. And getting the coordination with the the sound and the movements and all that, it took a long time to shoot it. Now the interesting thing is, there was no knife. Why not? Because it's all deception. CGI, computer graphic images, imagery. It was put in, the knife was put in by the computer later on. And a lot of movies are based on this. It's it's all deception. Now, after saying this, I I, I want to uh, do a change of pace here. I want to segue into something else which is much more serious. I want you to think of a... uh, Village in the Bavarian Mountains in Germany, the name of the village is Oberammergau. Now, is there anyone here that, um, that rings a bell? Ober- Oberammergau in Germany. Okay, and it probably is because of the passion play. Who has seen the Oberammergau passion play? Several hands have gone up. Okay, now I have to confess I haven't seen it, but I've read all about it. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this, um, uh, this, this passion play. In the, in the 1600s, uh, there was a plague as, uh, going across Europe, as in Europe, you know, in those days, there were many plagues that went across the land. Well, there was one, and the people of the, um, uh, the village, they were fearful that this fierce plague would come into their village. And it is said, historians say, that during that time, One in every three persons in this area of Germany died because of the plague. And so they prayed that the Lord would spare their village. And miraculously, the Lord answered their prayer. Uh, The plague passed over that village. No one died because of it. And so the villagers decided that they would do something in thanksgiving to God for his providential mercy on the village, sparing them from great heartache and death. And they decided that they would put on a passion play of the, the, not really the life, but certainly the death of our Lord. And they did this in 1632, I think it was, was the first one. And it did evolve over the years, over the decades, and the centuries, to become the Omo ramagau passion play which is still put on these days. Now, a story associated with the passion play. Um, it is a high honor for the villagers to be in the passion play. And of course, it is the highest honor to play the part of Jesus. Everyone in the Passion Play has to be of high morals and ethical standing in the village. It is taken very seriously. Well, in this particular year, Anton Lang was the villager who was playing Jesus. And after the Passion Play was over, there was a man who was on the platform like here, and there was a, the cross that... Anton Lang, playing the part of Jesus, carried down the Via Dolorosa. And the fellow with curiosity went over to the cross and uh, he thought he'd pick it up, but he couldn't because it was solid wood. He could barely move it. He thought it would be made of cardboard or balsa wood or plywood or something light. Well, just then Anton Lang came by and he said, I'm surprised this cross is so heavy. I thought it would be, as we would say, deception. It would be lightweight. And Anton Lang said to him, if I didn't feel the weight of his cross, then I could not play his part. If I did not feel the weight of his cross, then I could not play his part. Now, aren't they memorable and magnificent words? Memorable and magnificent words. No deception there. And so I want to say, I want to focus today on the cross because we are now in Lent. We're heading towards the Remembering the passion of our Lord, Good Friday, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. This message this morning is about the cross, probably appropriate for Good Good Friday, but here we are at the beginning of Lent, and pinch hitting, I want to focus on the cross this morning with you as we make this journey uh, towards the celebration of Easter. Now, the cross is very central to the Christian gospel. We must do business with it. Everyone must do business with it. It is to do with the beginning of the Christian life and it is to do with continuing the Christian life. The beginning of the Christian life and the matter of salvation, we must do business with the cross. And in the continuing of the Christian life in discipleship, we continue to do business with the cross. Now, we're going to read today from the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and Dana is coming, and uh, she is going to read the Scriptures for us today. I don't think there's anything on the board because uh, the switch in preachers was made too late in the week for there to be any visuals for you today, or anything in the bulletin. Thank you, Dana. It's on. It should be on. You probably turned it off. Thanks. So. The
1: word of the Lord. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Thank you, Dana. Now, what can we learn from this passage about the cross? What is there that we can learn here? Well, I think the first thing is something wonderful was done for us on the cross. Something wonderful was done for us on the cross and the text uh, is verse 24 if you look at the passage if you have it on your phone or uh, a bible print bible with you he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree or on the cross he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross now we have to ask ourselves first of all Why was the death of Jesus so significant? Why was this particular cross so important? What was different about it? Crucifixion was the Roman way of execution. I remember the older film, um, Spartacus. Uh, It showed, I think, toward the end when Jesus was crucified, a whole street lined with crosses that... People had been crucified on by the Romans they were they were they'd done something and they were put to death on a cross by the Romans we don't remember those cro- that those crosses we basically only remember Jesus's and the we do remember two others because on either side of him were criminals and they're only remembered because they were there when Jesus was crucified. So, why was the crucifixion of Jesus so important? And that's the question we have to, to ask ourselves. Well, of course, it is because of who he was. He was special. Therefore, his death became special. Of course, Christians understand that he was the Son of God. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the in, incarnation, it's called. God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. When God took on human form, we believe he was the son of God. Human, but divine. He was special. And because he was special, then his death was special. When he died on the cross, a special person died a special death. He died a sacrificial death. He was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, the Jewish sacrificial system. Animals, birds, so on, were offered as sacrifices for sin, for cleansing from sin. But they were as perfect as could be, but Jesus was perfect. He was the sinless Son of God, and He bore our sins in His body on the tree. So that's why we remember it. That's why the cross is important. He died that we might live. And what is required of us for that cross to become special? Well, all that's required of us is to stand before that cross in penitence and believing faith and say, Lord Jesus, you did that for me. It was my sin that put you on the cross. I was responsible as much as the Romans were responsible. The Jewish people were responsible for putting you on that cross. It was my sins that put you there. The, The death of Jesus was corporate for the sins of the world, for my sins, for your sins. And all we need to do is to stand before that cross, symbolically speaking, and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, you did that for me. I give you praise and thanksgiving. Now what happens then is that our sins are placed on Jesus. His righteousness becomes ours. And so we can stand before a holy God, perfect in Jesus Christ. It's called imputed righteousness. It's given to us. And we can then stand and be confident uh, before God. Now, there are varied ways when, in which people embrace this, this truth. To some, it's very dramatic, climactic, it's a very emotional, intense time. Others gradually come to embrace it and make it their own. I remember reading that Ruth Graham Bell, who who was the she's deceased, of course, as is her husband, Billy Graham, she said she could not remember a time when she didn't trust Jesus as a savior. But it was equally as real to her as a dramatic response to the gospel is to others. It doesn't matter how you come, but you must come. In penitence and believing faith. Now, one of my favorite preachers is a, was actually a black black preacher. He's now deceased. Uh, his name is uh, Gardner Taylor, and I had the he was pastor of the Concord Missionary Baptist Church. I think it was in Brooklyn, New York, for many years. And Christianity uh, described him as the dean of black preachers. And I had the rare good fortune of meeting him on one occasion. And I had one of his books. Um, I was pastoring an interim pastorate at the First Baptist Church of Tacoma, Washington. And um, uh, there was a lady in that church, I remember her first name, I can't remember her second name, her married name. But she was the cousin of Gardner Taylor. And he, famous around the world really, came to visit her once or twice a year. He was retired by this time. And while I was there, he came And I was able to, Billy Joe and I went for lunch with Ruth and Gardner Taylor. It was a very memorable experience. But these are words that he wrote about the cross of Jesus Christ. We see the sun stop shining while his friends stand around him crying. We are moved when we hear the Savior groaning and his friends Sadly moaning. Hear the hammer ringing with death stinging. There is great power in his death, yes. We are strangely moved when we stand at Calvary, yes. Sometimes it causes us to tremble, tremble, tremble. It was a saving substituting suffering death all oh, this great power in the cross of Jesus Christ and we don't proclaim it enough we don't lift it enough on high the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ well have you embraced the cross and its savings saving work that is the question another friend of mine um, has told the story of being uh, in London, and uh, he, was, he went to see a cathedral. It's probably the newest cathedral in the world. They're not built so much these days. But it's in Guildford, which is sort of a satellite town on the, on the western side of uh, greater London. And uh, it's, a, it's a magnificent uh, cathedral. You can actually look at it online, and you can do a tour of it. And he said, outside... Uh, there was a, 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 a quite a large cross, but like the one we were talking about at the beginning. And uh, uh, the cross was made of wood, and it was standing there as you entered. And he went up to look at it, and he found that people had carved their initials and their names in the wood of the cross, you know, seeking a kind of spurious immortality or something. And he was at first consumed with anger that people would seemingly just face the cross. But then it was a moment of spiritual illumination. It was as if the Lord reminded him that that was what the cross was all about. You see, he then realized that his name, his initials were on the cross. He was a child of God. And so I say to you this morning, your name and or initials are carved in the cross if Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. Isn't that a wonderful truth? What about you? So I ask you today, uh, have you owned the cross? Is the cross yours? I pray it is. If not, it will be. That's the first thing. Something wonderful was done for us on the cross. Now what else can the cross teach us? Well, secondly, I think it tells us that something exi- exist- ex- exacting, excuse me, something exacting is demanded of us by the cross. And if you look at verse 21 and 24, it says there, "And the cross, it's left us an example so that you could follow in his steps. That's verse 24. So that you could follow in his steps. And then, excuse me, verse 21. And then verse 24 says, so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness, which was another way of saying following in his steps, following his example, like the, uh, I think the word example is like the script of a teacher on a board. Maybe you don't see that too much today with, in this ticky age, but uh, it, it's what the teacher sets out as the standard. And so something exacting is of, demanded of us by the cross, and we have to learn from it, and to live by it jesus hinted at this when he said if anyone would come after me let him take up his cross daily and follow me you see you have to do business with the cross not just to begin the christian life but to continue it he who would come after me must take up his cross daily said jesus And follow me well what does that actually mean well I think it means being willing at times to step aside from our personal desires and preferences to do what is good and for the glory of God what does it mean to follow the example of Jesus well it means numerous things only can take one say in the time that we have today we think of his courage following his example of courage, his joy in suffering, his perseverance. There are many things that are set before us as an example by our Lord Jesus, but I just simply want to take one and and just touch on it briefly. It means to follow his costly self-identification with others in their need. He began his ministry, you see, by being tempted in the wilderness just as we are. He identified with us sinners. And when he died on the cross at the end of his ministry, his earthly ministry, there were two criminals, one on either side of him. So he died, in the mid- he began his ministry in the midst of sinners and, and identifying with them and he died being identified with criminals, with one on either side of him. And that's what our lives, life as Christians must be like. We must uh, identify with people in their needs. Jesus calls us to love the brokenhearted and the broken down, the hurt and the struggling. The great uh, British historian, Arnold Toynbee, has a, has a quote which I heard many years ago and have never forgotten. He said, the reason that the church has survived in many instances in difficult times over the centuries is the ability of the church of the christians to care for others not just for themselves but for others and he quoted instances where again going back to the plague sweeping uh, parts of europe people would run away and flee and people would be dying on the streets and on occasion there was Who was there to reach out to them and even take them into their home? It was the Christians. And that's what the testimony of the Christian church ought to be. Identifying as Jesus identified with sinning, struggling people and reaching out to them in helping love. Something exacting is demanded of us by the cross. Now, the one thing that I'm cautious about in what I've said following the example of Jesus is that it seems to speak of self-determination. It seems to be something that we can actually do, that we gravitate towards it quickly and easily. In his steps uh, is mentioned in one of these verses. uh, It's verse 21, in his steps follow in his steps. Now, when I was young uh, and a young Christian, there was a book out by Charles M. Sheldon called um, In His Steps. And it was about, uh, again, another village that uh, the Christians decided that they would follow the example of Jesus in all situations. And it really transformed that village. It was very popular and people followed it, uh, read the book. And... um, presumably tried to live out as Jesus has, had lived. They tried to live out in their own lives as they followed in his steps. A more recent uh, variation of this is, what would Jesus do? WWJD. You've possibly heard of that. I think it's kind of disappeared now, but it was very popular for a while. It's as if we can always live uh, in the way that Jesus would live. Wonderful pinnacle. We are to follow um, in his steps uh, the pattern that's there. But sometimes that's a little heavy. You know. When you think about it, it kind of presses you down. Following Jesus, how can I do it? Well, in br- coming to a conclusion here, I want to say in the, in the New Testament, there are two a- accents, if you like. There is the Calvary accent and we're featured on the cross this morning, and that's very important. But the other thing is the Pentecost accent, the emphasis on Pentecost. You see, I cannot follow in his steps completely. I cannot, much of the time, do what Jesus would do. Don't know about you. I suppose you're just like me. I can't do it. But the joy of being a Christian is we are infused by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us. And uh, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And Christians over the centuries have been able to do superhuman things, extraordinary things, caring things, that don't come naturally to them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers them. The Holy Spirit gives them energy, gives them hope, gives them creativity. And that's the thing we need to focus on as well. The cross demands, big demands from the cross, but I tell you, the Holy Spirit enables. Got an amen for that? Yes. The Holy Spirit enables us. So we've gone round to the end. Anton Lang said, sir, if I did not feel the weight of his cross, then I could not play his part. See, we're saved by the cross and we must live by the cross. Think of the words of the old hymn. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my li- soul, my life, my all. Now, you, you, if you want to sing that seriously, the word demand or demand must be changed uh, by shall have. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Shall have, my soul, my my life, my all. Sir, if I did not feel the weight of his cross, I could not play his part. Lord Jesus, we stand amazed before your amazing love for the wonderful thing that was done for us on the cross. What a wonderful gift it is. Trusting you and receiving eternal life. We thank you for that. And we think of the demands that are made of us by the cross. And Lord, who's sufficient for these things, as Paul said? I say that. I'm not sufficient for these things. Only the Holy Spirit of God, as you infuse me and fill me, And release your strength in me. Am I sufficient for these things? And then still I depend upon you. All thanks and praise to you, dear Lord. Hallelujah and amen.